Good morning. It's no ordinary time. In the world of politics here in the UK and across the globe, it's no ordinary time. Faced with the growth, the rampant growth of multinational capitalism, it's no ordinary time. And the dire facts and terrible warnings about climate crisis dramatically outlined by Sarah and friends two weeks ago and Dave last Sunday, it's no ordinary time. And even here at St. Luke's, still waiting decisions about a new vicar, it's no ordinary time. Martin has asked us to reflect in these weeks on the climate crisis and our response as a Christian congregation. Today I want to share some reflections on the gospel and our Christian tradition after conversations I've had with my family and other members here at St. Luke's, and I hope it's helpful. I've tried to be brief, but given the task, well, I hope you're sitting comfortably. It's going to be a long one. To be honest, the hard facts of the climate crisis drive me almost to despair. When Sarah and the other um, younger members of the congregation reflected on the grim and overwhelming facts of the climate crisis, uh, talking with Lizzie and other um, olders afterwards, we were feeling overwhelmed by a sense of, it's all our fault. I can actually remember being excited when, many years ago, plastic bottles replaced the glass orange squash bottles of my childhood. There weren't lots of other fizzy drinks around then, and it was modern, something to embrace. Little did we know that this byproduct of the petrochemical industry would wreak such havoc on the planet. The Eastern Orthodox Patriarch Bartholomew II of Constantinople, who holds a passionate concern for the environment, promotes the idea of eco-penance. It's only by expressing penitence for our abuse of creation, he says, that we can be brought back into true relationship with each other and with our creator. So I'm sorry about the plastic bottles. And yes, I know we can be forgiven, forgive others, forgive ourselves. But how can we try to make good? Now that we know what we know, now that the world, despite all the deniers, knows the facts, the indisputable scientific science, uh, the indisputable science of the climate crisis, we're faced with a decisive moment in history, a moment of grace, a kairos moment to be seized. And yet it is so overwhelming the terrible reality of how we are destroying the planet and at such speed makes me feel quite, quite powerless. It's a kind of paralysis. How is my plastic, of giving up plastic water bottles, going to make a difference? What can I do alone? What can I do? It's really made me quite depressed. thanks to Gary and his magic rope trick, we can imagine that working together, we can make a difference. It was Denise 
a couple of weeks ago, she's not here today, reminded me that um, when we were cutting up our Barclay cards in the 60s and demonstrating outside the South African embassy, which I did, uh, did we think apartheid would end? And yet there were people who never lost hope that there would be change. And there was. When through the 60s and 70s and early 80s, we looked at the Berlin Wall, a symbol of division between East and West and the fears of nuclear holocaust that it engendered, did we think it would ever come down? And it did. And when the world was faced with the magnitude of HIV AIDS, there were those who persevered in hope of finding a cure. And they have. In the face of the almost apocalyptic climate crisis, there is hope too. Hope in the inspiring young people passionate to halt the impending disaster for the planet. Young people like Greta Thunberg, who began the Fridays for Future school strikes. Hope in the hundreds and thousands of people who are taking individual small steps. Hope in the passion of those like David Attenborough or, or Dave Mellows, who spoke last week, and other Extinction Rebellion activists. Hope in the thousands of scientists across the globe who are changing government thinking and slowly bringing about action to change our headlong rush to destruction. Each morning, despite the clanging of the alarm, each new day brings hope. The piece Justin has chosen for the choir at Communion is called New Day. It was written by a, a Welsh rock musician, John David. In the late 70s, he faced a personal crisis and was sitting late into the night on the sofa watching television a, a terrible news story about impending nuclear disaster and feeling very low. As dawn approached, hope is my philosophy, he wrote. Love of life means hope for me, born on a new day. Love of life, born each new day. Hope is at the heart of who we are as Christians. In the reading we heard from St. Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, Paul writes, from the beginning until now, the entire creation, as we know, has been groaning in one great act of giving birth. The entire creation, all of us, hope for the glory to be fulfilled. Creation did not happen once by the flick of a divine hand. Creation is an evolving, life-generating process that's still happening, which means that each and every one of us is part of creating God's future. In St. Paul's mind, we are all in the midst of creation. The French geologist and priest Pierre Teilhard de Chardin who saw the horrors of the First and Second World Wars at first hand, shared these words. The world is still being created, and it is Christ who is reaching his fulfillment in it. When I heard and understood that saying, he says, I looked around and I saw, as though in an ecstasy, that through all nature, 
I was immersed in God. God's saving work made visible in the birth, dying, and rising of Jesus opens our eyes to understand God's universal creative work. In the power of the Holy Spirit, God is inviting us to participate in the universal work of unfolding creation. We are a part of this movement of an ever-growing cosmic Christ that is coming to be in this one great act of giving birth. St. John's Gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, through him all things came to be. Believing in Christ is to believe in creation unfolding and being renewed in one great act of giving birth. The moment of grace for us is to play our part in this unfolding of creation, and here lies the hope. On the service sheet, <coughs> excuse me, this morning, uh, you've got an image painted by Hildegard of Bingen in the 12th century, believe it or not, representing seeing with more than just our eyes, seeing with a hundred thousand eyes, seeing with our whole bodies the inner meaning of every element of creation of beauty, of music, of art, of stones and soil, of light and darkness, of flowers and grass, what the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins called the inscape of things. Hildegard's visions caused her to see humans as living sparks of God's love, coming from God as daylight comes from the sun. For her, Christ's redeeming death, resurrection and spirit sending opened the way to a new harmony of creation. Echoing St. Paul's letter, Hildegard wrote, humankind is called to recreate. The earth should not be injured. The earth must not be destroyed, Hildegard pleaded. The choir sang one of Hildegard's canticles at the opening of the service. And another of her canticles goes like this. The fire has its flame and praises God. The wind blows the flame and praises God. In the voice we hear the word which praises God. And the word, when heard, praises God. So all of creation is a song of praise of God. About 50 years later, Hildegard's song of creation is taken up by St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis is perhaps the world's most well-known saint. He was the rich young man who gave away all his possessions to serve the poor and the lepers. Like Hildegard, Francis saw all creation as God's gift. From the glory of daybreak to nightfall, through the elements of fire and water and earth, sickness and trials and the inevitable encounter with sister death, everything that happened in Francis' life fueled his praise of God. And so a version of his canticle of the creatures, Laudato si mi signore, we will sing after the prayers. For Francis, the entire universe, ourselves, the whole environment to which we belong, is a manifestation of God. 
a creative outpouring of the abundant goodness of love, which is the life of the Trinity. God creates the world not out of necessity, but out of love. Everything that is, is pure gift. Some Christians today say that the problem with our Western society is that we're too materialistic. Francis, I think, would rather say that we're not materialistic enough. We take material things too lightly. We don't show enough reverence towards creation. We take it for granted. In Francis' worldview, everything is to be reverenced as having value because it is from God. Recycling, I think he would say, is important, not simply because we're rapidly running out of landfill, but because nothing is to be discarded or disregarded as valueless. There's no such thing as rubbish. St. Francis' way of seeing creation is reflected in the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins, who proclaims, the world is charged with the grandeur of God and praises the richness of creation in glory to be to God for dappled things. The challenge for us is to extend that way of seeing, as Francis did, as Hildegard did, seeing with a thousand, a hundred thousand eyes, into a way of looking at creation that transforms our whole way of living. The key to it all for Francis was his sense of giftedness. He was overwhelmed by the generosity of God in and through creation, and he lived in a constant state of grateful dependence. Bishop Rowan Williams writes, our present ecological crisis has a lot to do with our failure to think of the world as existing in relation to the mystery of God, not just a huge warehouse of stuff to be used at our convenience. And so we, the human sisters and brothers of St. Paul and Hildegard and Francis and so many more, can join the song. Engaging closely with creation can heal, restore, and redirect our lives. It can become an act of praise and worship. Singing the song with all creation brings us back into right relationship with ourselves, with each other, and the source and giver of all. On his election in March 2013, Pope Francis said, some people want to know why I wish to be called Francis. For me, Francis of Assisi is the man of poverty, the man of peace, the man who loves and protects creation. Since then, the Pope's commitment to an integral ecology has become increasingly evident. The title Pope Francis uh, used as his plea on the environment, his document, Laudato Si Mi Signore, Praise Be to You, My Lord, is, as you all know now, taken from the first line of St. Francis' Canticle of the Creatures. Laudato Si is probably one of the strongest appeals by any world leader in recent times in favor of the planet, the environment, the future. He speaks as a, a voice from the South, he's from Argentina, as well as a Christian leader. 
Laudato Si was released by Pope Francis in 2015 to influence the talks which led to the Paris Agreement on Global Warming. It's addressed not just to Catholics or to people of faith, but, he says, every person living on this planet I would like to enter into dialogue with I would like to enter into dialogue with all people about our common home. Of course, documents like Laudato Si are not prepared by one person. Pope Francis called on experts in many fields, including theology and environmental sciences, to prepare the document which runs to six chapters and 179 pages. Having set out the challenge, he appeals to all of us, and not just people of faith, but all who care for our common home. Young people, he says, demand change. They wonder how anyone can claim to be building a better future without thinking of the environmental crisis and the sufferings of the excluded. Pope Francis, as someone from the south of the planet, recognizes that it's the same corporate greed, what he calls brutal injustice, that is destroying both the planet and the lives of the poorest. He says, the urgent challenge to protect our common home includes a concern to bring the whole human family together to seek a sustainable and integral development. For we know that things can change. And he goes on to say, a sense of deep communion with the rest of nature cannot be real if our hearts lack tenderness, compassion, and concern for our fellow human beings. It's clearly inconsistent to combat trafficking in endangered species while remaining completely indifferent to human trafficking. Everything is connected, he writes. Concern for the environment thus needs to be joined to a sincere love for our fellow human beings and an unwavering commitment to resolving the problems of society. This is what Pope Francis calls integral ecology, which clearly respects the human and social dimensions. So as we at St. Luke's reflect on our response to the climate crisis, rest assured we're not alone. As part of a worldwide church and in solidarity with hundreds of thousands of people across the globe, especially in the south of the planet, steps are being taken. We know things can change. That's our hope, firmly founded in the action of the Holy Spirit unfolding the new creation in Christ. The whole of creation in one great act of giving birth. We know things can change. As Susie reminded us last week, we can make changes in our daily life. Small steps, small changes. And Susie says she's going to provide us with some more of these little fridge reminders of small steps. We know things can change. Dave told us last week of his eco-activism, non-violent disobedience. I'm afraid that's not my calling, but we need such activism that's ready to face prison. We're not all called to be such witnesses, but may God give strength to those who will. But each of us can do our part. I can give up single-use plastic bottles. I can refill and reuse. 
We can all support the work of Christian Aid, Amnesty, and the NGOs working with the poorest communities, the victims of climate crisis, supporting them both financially and those organizations with their lobbying activity. I can make daily decisions, like saying no to the iced coffee that only comes in plastic cups. I can write to my MP. I can act to bring about change. Naomi Klein has said saying no to what she calls ecocidal capitalism, sort of genocidal but more, ecocidal capitalism is not enough. We also need to act and give time to imagine a different kind of future, to dream dreams of hope. We can take time in prayer to examine our own way of life and to imagine a future, to choose to join in creation's great act of giving birth. Prayer changes us. We're not pulling the strings on a puppet God. Prayer adjusts my focus, reorients me in the gospel. It's we who change. Spending a few minutes each day in prayer at the bus stop or on the platform or on the escalator going up at King's Cross can help us to focus on the small steps to take. And each small step in hope can be a giant leap for humanity. We know things can change. Only last week, a report from the Swiss University ETH Zurich suggests that the planting of a trillion trees without encroaching on urban areas or crop production could absorb more than two-thirds of carbon dioxide emissions. We know things can change. When we come together for worship, our hope is renewed. Knowing we are each taking small steps in hope knowing that you and you and all of us are all taking small steps in hope, we know things can change. Despite the overwhelming grimness of the harm we've done and are doing to the planet, we know things can change. We know that in Christ there is a new creation. We know that the earth is growing in one great act of giving birth. In the power of the Spirit, let's persevere together in hope, and all shall be well. <laughs>